My spirit was still strong. It was that determined spirit, that Judd work ethic that I had learned from my mother, the want and need to be loved, that kept me working so hard for almost twenty years. I agonized about it all night. I had tried for so long to keep everyone and everything going. I felt I couldn't let the people around me down. Deep in my heart, I knew that I couldn't continue to let myself down either, but I just didn't have the strength to make a change. There was a world out there that was already signed, sealed, and delivered. For me to make the change would be to call a halt to the party, and I didn't have the ability to do that. In the studio, I knew how to say, that doesn't work for me. But in my personal life, I couldn't stand up for myself. I found myself thinking, I will either make it through this crisis, or, well, if I do have a heart attack, I'll have to stop. I now stood at the crossroads in a struggle between selfless and selfish. When I woke up the next morning, the sun was shining, thank God. Even though I had not slept much, I was thankful for the new day. I called Carrie's direct line at the office to check in. How are you today? she asked. I feel so much better, I said, trying to sound enthusiastic. I just needed someone to talk to. Thanks for being there. Are you really okay? Carrie asked. Are you sure you don't need me to do anything for you? She still sounded worried, so I tried to reassure her. I'm fine, I said confidently. I'm just anxious about the album and the tour and the wedding, but like I always say, the show must go on. And so it did. Less than a week later, I was going about my life as if nothing was wrong. On the surface, things seemed to be going very right. So much was happening. My sixth solo album, What the World Needs Now is Love, had been out for two months, and the first single was flying up the charts. Calls flooded into the office daily, and the calendar was filling up fast. I was already booked far into 2004, and through the next few months, I was scheduled to travel from New York to Los Angeles to visit radio stations and perform on television shows, gearing up for the concert tour beginning in January. I was also busy putting the final touches on my wedding in November to D.R. Roach, who had been my road manager for 11 years. Immediately after the wedding, Roach and his 13-year-old son, Zach, were moving in with my 8-year-old son, Elijah, and my 7-year-old daughter, Grace, and me. I was preparing for the big merge, going full steam ahead. But that call to Carrie could not be taken back. Just that one short phone conversation was the beginning of acceptance for me. I admitted that I had a problem, and the call continued to weigh on Carrie's mind, despite my trying to put up a good front. It was the beginning of a chain reaction that would end in a life-changing, life-saving year. When Julie Colbert, my agent at William Morris, called to ask Carrie if I might consider allowing Oprah to film my wedding, Carrie relayed her concerns about my schedule, mentioning my phone call. Then, during a girl talk call to Oprah's producers, Julie passed along the information. Winona feels she's hit a wall. And so I received a call from Oprah saying that she wanted me to come to Chicago to talk with her about everything that was going on in my world. She had learned, she said, that I was worried about my health and that I truly wanted to do something about it. I wondered if my visit with Oprah might mean I would get some advice from someone who had been there who might inspire me to begin the process of making a change in my life. I accepted the invitation. On October 29th, I boarded a flight to Chicago. 
I had butterflies in my stomach all day long, and by the time I buckled myself in the seat on the plane, the butterflies had turned to knots. Roach sat next to me and took my hand for our usual takeoff prayer. He could tell that I was emotional, and so he continued to hold my hand as we sat quietly waiting as the plane took off. I leaned forward and looked over at Carrie, who sat nearby. She smiled at me. Tears filled my eyes, and I smiled back. I felt truly blessed to have two of my best friends going with me. What would my visit with Oprah bring? I always feel closer to heaven when I fly. It's comforting to me. And as we approached 30,000 feet, I sat looking out my window at the blanket of clouds below me. I realized that it had only been a few months since I had received the bad news from my doctor about my health, and now here I was about to sit face to face with one of my heroes to tell her my story. It was going to be difficult. Because my truth was, even though I was still going strong professionally after 20 years, behind all the success was a woman in crisis. I was scared to death. I knew that I needed help, but I didn't know where to begin. As I continued to look out the window, I wondered what it would feel like to die. I thought about my father and wondered if I would meet him in heaven. Will I ever get to meet my guardian angel? I thought about Roach and the children. I thought about family and friends and what an incredible journey I'd had so far in life. I thought about my career. I'd been on the road half my life. What would I do if I didn't have my music and fans? I also thought about Mom and what our relationship might have been if we hadn't sung together. I miss Ashley, I thought. I wondered what she was doing. Where was she at that very moment? Was she having a good day? My thoughts were so scattered. What would I order for lunch at the Ritz Hotel? They have 24-hour room service. Am I going to cry when Oprah walks into the room? We began our descent into the Chicago airport, and I felt a wave of panic wash over me. What in the world was I going to say to Oprah when we sat together in her office? Hi, Oprah. I'm afraid that I could die if I don't lose weight. I'm depressed, and I feel like a complete failure when I look at myself in the mirror. Other than that, everything is just terrific. How about you? I had not talked openly about my deepest feelings and insecurities about myself and my body, or about how chaotic my lifestyle had become. But was I ready to tell Oprah the absolute truth? Was I willing to talk about what was going on behind the music, that I was working too hard and couldn't seem to slow down long enough to take care of my own health? I had become the very thing I tell my fans not to become, a martyr. I had struggled alone and in silence, I had continued to put my personal problems on hold for the sake of family and career. Day after day, I convinced myself that I could take care of all my professional and personal responsibilities, determined that I could have it all. But trying to have it all was costing too much, maybe even my own life. It was time to surrender to my absolute truth that I had lost myself. I had forgotten to put myself on the list. I looked at Roach, and he leaned over and kissed me. Good timing. No one said much on the ride to Oprah's Harpo Studios. I could feel that Carrie and Roach were nervous for me. My heart was racing as our limo pulled into the entrance of Harpo. I thought, it's too late to turn around and go home now, country girl. We got out of the limo, and several women from Oprah's staff greeted us. 
I had been here many times before, but this visit was very different. I wasn't here to talk about singing or show business. I was not here about a celebration. I was here to speak from the heart about my real life. As I began walking up the stairs to Oprah's office, I asked myself, How in the world did I get to this place in my life?